Ladies and gentlemen, what is the deal? Today is May 1st, 2023, only 19 days away until my 34th birthday. Holy shit. 34 years of life. I feel like that's something to celebrate, but we won't talk about that, I guess, until the 20th. And that will be an exciting podcast. So much to share, so many things happening. We are like midway through the year which is crazy and amazing at the same time. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Gravity. This is my podcast where I share my personal memoir with you here publicly. Um, You know, I think it's one of the healthiest things on the planet to just be able to speak or to write or to express And I am fortunate enough to be able to do it on multiple uh, platforms or in just multiple different ways. For example, um, I dance and I don't just dance. I'm a b-boy and I break and I break at the highest level. And that is probably one of the coolest forms of expression for me. Uh, Probably my favorite. Um, But then I get to paint and draw and I get to also speak And this is my way of really releasing what's on my mind and also sharing some valuable information that has helped me um, obtain some of the things in my life that I have obtained. And I am proud and happy to be able to share it here. It's pretty it's pretty dope, too, because I don't really give a fuck about like my setup or, you know, how great my audio is and everything. I am literally just off my phone right now. Um, and recording all my audio here. I do have my camera up and I haven't posted anything on YouTube yet, uh, like as far as the visual, but I always feel like it's good to have both. And then I do have a mic uh, on, my, on, my, uh, on my camera. I'm shooting on an A7 III Sony. Uh, it's literally my favorite camera. I can't vlog on that thing though because the screen doesn't flip out. So I can't see what I look like. I don't know if I'm always in focus or if I'm out of focus. And, you know, it's just one of those cameras that requires a lot of attention when using it. And so it's probably not the best to be using while uh, <laughs> while vlogging just because I can't really see much. But anyway, today is an amazing day. Today's the day. It's always an amazing day. And this podcast is called Today is the day with gravity and i don't know if it's corny or not i don't really give a shit but today is the day and that's something that i live by every single day uh being present you know i've always been a in the moment kind of guy i live day by day and then as i gotten older and as i've uh you know i guess become a bit wiser in certain situations certain scenarios certain areas of life uh, i started looking a lot further than uh in the future and then i went down the rabbit hole and, uh, you know, now I'm always up and my mind is always going crazy because I'm always thinking in the future and thinking in the future. And then I started moving like my life in general just started to uh, peak and things just started happening and happening. And now my life is just it feels like I blink and I wake up. I blink and I'm you know laying down, getting ready for bed. My days are they feel like they're about an hour long. and It's kind of crazy. Um, but all good things, kind of amazing to be able to say some of these things, right? No matter what uh, it brings. But uh, today we're going to talk about three ways that I've survived as a breaker. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have another job. I don't do anything else but break. 
Um, breaking is my life. My whole life has been surrounded by breaking. And I always feel like, you know, whatever you're going to indulge in, you got to embody it. You know, you got to come in and you have to just like live it. You got to live it every single day. It's really important that you do that. And you got in, in order to truly understand what you're getting involved in. And, and you know, I just really dug my my toes into the ground when it came to breaking, you know. Uh, so, you know, when I first started breaking and I realized, holy shit, this is what I want to do. Um, I actually had a job. I worked for Nissan. And I was like washing tires and rims and basically you'd get your car, you'd bring your car in for like an oil change or something and then they would bring it to us in the garage and we'd have to wash it and detail it and you'd get your car back brand new. Uh, if you ever go to the uh, car dealership or, you know, to go get your car, you know, maintenance check, whatever the hell it is, an oil change and you ever get get your car back and it has like... You know, the plastic on the seats and uh, you all of a sudden your shit is vacuumed and stuff. Yeah, that was me. Um, shout out to those guys because that job fucking sucks and it's hard, but you do what you got to do, you know. And so, uh, so I worked at Nissan and I went to Rocksteady Crew Anniversary and, well, actually, let me back it up for a second. Let me not fuck this story up. So I worked at Nissan. I'd be in the city working every day and I got wind that Rocksteady Crew Anniversary was happening and it was happening during a day that I was working, which sucked. It was a Saturday, and they had the um, concrete battle, which was legend. Like, people just don't do that no more. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, they had the concrete battle. I showed up on my, my, my lunch break because it was within the area. It wasn't far. It was a couple of train stops away. And my lunch break was an hour, and they were just getting started with prelims, and they were talking about running right through it. And so I was like, I bet I'm going to just jump in real fast because, you know, like when you can break, you break. That's what you do. Like there's no uh, there's no I uh, just watch, especially that that time I was young, you know. And so whatever the case is, I make it past prelims and they're doing this shit fast. It wasn't a lot of people that entered, but, you know, it was like boom, 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 boom. And uh, it's already about to be an hour and I needed to be back at work already. But they announced that I made it past prelims. And back then that was a really big deal. You know, like now I feel like, yeah, I'm gonna make it past prelims. I know how to do that. Well, back then it was a big deal, you know, and, and uh, I had to work because I needed it. Um, I was already a, a father and, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. And I hated it though. But anyway, um, I like payday though. Payday was always great. Uh, but anyway, so I make it past prelims, and they're like, all right, Gravity made it. And I think they're only doing top eight. So, yo, you're close to the finals. At top eight, you're close. You know, it's only three battles, right? Eight, four, two. And I called my boss, and I was like, yo. He's like, yo, where you at? It's funny that I say that. My boss was ghetto as fuck. Um, we were all ghetto as fuck. And uh, he's like, yo, where you at? And I was like, yo, bro, I, I quit. He was like, what? And I was like, yeah, bro, I got to go. And I hung up. And that was it. Never, ever got a job again after that. I'm lying. I'll tell you why. Uh, I'll tell you when I did end up working again. But anyway, so I, I quit my job. And I went and I lost in the finals. That was in the finals. I lost in the finals. And uh, no. I lost in the semifinals. Kid Glide won that. I don't really remember, to be honest. 
I don't really remember, to be honest. It doesn't even matter. But the truth is, um, I quit that day. I didn't win or I won. I don't remember. But I do. Fuck, how do I not remember that? Anyway, uh, but whatever the case is, I go home and I told my mom I quit. She's like, what? What do you mean you quit? How are you supposed to survive? I'm not going to be paying for X, Y, and Z. You need to make money. And I was like, you're right. Like, what do you even say to that? You're right. You know, and I just knew I didn't want to work all day, dude. I was tired. I wanted to go to practice. But every time I went to practice, I was just exhausted. And it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense for me to be working all day if this is what I wanted to do. So, you know, I started talking to people in the game that, you know, were living off this at the time. And now people had regular jobs and then they did like this side hustle. And it was bar mitzvahs. Uh, bat mitzvahs, however you pronounce it. But basically, um, you'd work for this company and you'd come in and they would hire entertainment. So your kids having a bat mitzvah, we would come in and we would show up and be hype with the kids and party and live it out. And, you know, and then we'd get down and perform and get the kids to, you know, just keep the life of the party because kids are socially awkward. Believe it or not, they don't know how to dance together and do things together at that age. What are you, like 12, 13 at that age? They, they're just awkward. They got all these girls there and these boys there and they don't know what to do. And so your job is to like get everybody to mingle together, bug out. And, um, and it, was, it was like the shittiest. It was worse than working at Nissan, to be honest. Um, but it was a faster job. And the reason why I say it was worse, because I was a grown-ass man. And my job was to like party with kids and dance with the grandparents and you know depending on i guess how you look at it it could be something you know it could have been worse right um but at that time i was making like a hundred dollars you know it was like nothing dude 150 dollars of bar mitzvah and you know i i just rather take it because i was like man i don't need 500 dollars. i just need enough money to get into the jam this week literally that's all i was thinking you know and so, and, and I didn't know any better, man. I was just a kid, happy, doing what I loved, you know? And so it went from bat mitzvahs to partying with everybody all day to then doing Sweet Sixteens. And I would show up for a Sweet Sixteen, I would get down, and then I would leave. And that is what I liked. I liked that I would show up, I would get down real fast, and then I was done for the day. And those were cool because they paid the same, like 150, 200 bucks, come in real fast and you know I was probably there for 30 minutes max but I only had to dance for like you know five minutes and then I was out and that for me was like really cool and I try to book as many of those um a day a day and they didn't come in like that but I was like juggling between like bar mitzvahs uh sweet 16s and then I started doing like other performance corporate parties and things like that and that's when things started getting a lot cooler was like, oh, shit, I'm making $500 now uh, to show up and do routine. And, you know, that would include like rehearsals and stuff like that. And it was really cool. So as time went by, I started to gain like these, you know, first it was like $100 bar mitzvah uh, to like $150, sweet 16s, then doing both. And then I started doing like the corporate parties where there was more money. Uh, and so entertainment became like one of my main sources of income uh, to where, you know, now, I mean, at that time, like I, I got it up to like $1,000 for me to show up. And that was 18 years old, $1,000 to show up for five minutes. 
know, I was fire. And so, you know, plus these little bar mitzvahs and the sweet sixteens and like, you know, just the corporate parties, you put it all together, you make a couple thousand dollars a month. And that was like the first way, but I literally had to eat shit. I had to eat shit. It sucked. Because, you know, they people just treat you different, man. They look at you different. They like your job is to come in and perform. People just didn't take you serious. But I survived. Like I, I literally was able to survive just off of doing like entertainment. Just come in and dance real quick and pull out. And that allowed me to continue doing what I loved at that time. It allowed me to not have to get a job. It allowed me to wake up and be able to go to practice when I wanted to go to practice and go to jams and and take the Chinatown bus here or take it there or catch a flight here. It was like, yo, I need to go travel here. Well, yo, let's go do this corporate party real fast, uh, my homie, but it's only gonna pay 500. I said, well, shit, between the ticket and we staying at a homie's house? Yeah, all right, bet. You know, it, it, I was like, all right, cool. Five hundred dollars, I'll be able to pay for my flight. And you know, if we're staying at somebody's house, I could eat a little bit and get into the jam. Let's go. We out. Go do the corporate party. Make sure we get paid right then and there. Boom, bam. We out. Come back broke. Start over again. And uh, unless we won, and we, you know, it was a come up. Then it was worth it. You know. Uh, and at that time, you just break even because jams weren't bigger than five hundred bucks to a thousand. You know. So it was like, you know, that was one way that I was able to survive was just doing performances. Um, Now, looking back at that time, I feel like uh, the smartest thing to have done and for anybody that like is looking for like fast money now is to put, now that we have technology and stuff like that, but to put ads out that you're available for this, you know, maybe you can get you and a couple of friends uh, together that are reliable, right? Because the greatest skill The greatest skill in our industry is availability. Like, you just, the average person will see one head spin and it'll look like 10. You know, like a solid two or two head spin drill, to them it's gonna look like 10. You don't need, you don't need the most incredible, talented person. You need somebody that's available and somebody that got a lot of personality. And so uh, that's what really survived in the game was, were you personable? Uh, would people enjoy your company and your dance moves, you know? And so if I were you or you're starting out there and you're trying to put in that work, make some extra money, uh, doing corporate events, corporate parties, uh, birthday parties, quinceañeras, uh, sweet 16s. I got to do a My Super Sweet 16 one time. That was crazy. It didn't pay a lot. But I've never seen, like, yo, it's just your daughter's 16th birthday. But people make it like... <sighs> wedding it was crazy she pulled up in a carriage with all these horses and it was nuts but anyway uh you know and you put yourself out there and you get a dope photo or even go on like squarespace and create a small little website and i don't know put like you know coolest party entertainment or something like that and you know just put a photo of you and your friends doing some freezes and put a quick video of what you guys do and having a good time and you know, do one party off, off like, off rip. Just do one party for free. So, and then get a videographer, or a photographer to come out and just take photos of you guys with people and showing everybody a great time, and set up your entertainment, um, you know, line of revenue, you know, stream of revenue, and that will really help you um, 
in what whatever it is that you're trying to do if you're a dancer like i can only speak for dancers right so like if you're and you don't even got to be a breaker man you could just be a really dope dancer if you got some friends and you could do some dope choreo and put it together and it's not even if it was corny man people like that dude people you know we have the highest standards of course but people like corny it just works you know it's reliable it's clean and it's in and it's out and we back to the party you know so uh, that's one stream of revenue that really helped me. It was a really dope way to survive because, you know, it's like I only had to show up on the weekends. I only worked on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, uh, and uh, maybe just Friday, Saturday. And then I was just chilling all week long. So while my friends and stuff were partying on the weekends, I was like out there just grinding, hustling. Um, and, you know, if it interferes with a jam, then you make sure you double up the weekend before. You know, it just really depends. But that is one way that you guys can you guys can go out there and, and make it happen. Uh, the second way was winning jams. That's the second way I survived. And so uh, it ties into the first one. And so the first one allowed me, you know, doing this entertainment stuff allowed me to be able to train and practice every single day and never miss practice. It allowed me to have money to travel, eat, and uh, live. And when I was younger, man, I ate whatever I wanted, you know. But I ate pretty good because my mom cooked and stuff like that. But also, too, you know, like I just, you know, you eat, I don't know, you're in New York, bro. You go to the bodega and you get a, you know, turkey, cheese, lettuce, tomato, mayo on a roll. That's, that's enough energy for the whole practice. You know, you couldn't even eat a whole sandwich before practice. And so... Or in the morning, you know, you get a bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll. I don't know. It's just like, it's good food. Anyway, probably not the healthiest, but it's good food. But uh, so, you know, winning jams was, you know, I would, I would play my cards right too. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go over here and potentially win. It's going to cost me this. And, uh, you know, it's going to cost me $300 to get out there. But the prize is 500 And I would, I would do, oh, my God, man. I'd be at practice and I would, I would, first of all, if winning is a way that you want to, you know, make money, which you definitely can, you need one of these, you know what I'm saying? And in this book, I'll drop the pen. And in this book is all types of like lessons, things that I've learned. So you get yourself, I call them a move book, um, but obviously it could be, it could be called whatever you want it to be. But in this book that I have here, um, I have like my weaknesses, it says, and it says like mind, body, and soul, and uh, you know, just like where I'm strong, uh, where am I, where I'm weak at, uh, where in, in all these different categories, and then I also would journal and I would talk about my experiences and some of the things that, um, you know, like where did I mess up in my battles, where can I get better, and so I still do this. You know, but it's a really helpful thing to be just honest and transparent with yourself. So if winning jams is a way like some people just go to jams and if they win, you know, it's a blessing and they're cool. Um, I didn't do that. I went to the jam or to the competition specifically with the mind state of I needed to win because my rent was due. You know what I'm saying? And as you get older and you have kids, and now that money that I originally made um, through like Bar Mitzvahs and 316s, it wasn't the most consistent. Um, and not only was it not, it was, and the reason why it wasn't consistent is because I didn't have that website and putting out ads. It was like, yo, we got a gig, you down. You know? And that's where I feel like I wish I would have 
been smarter or, you know, I wish somebody would have put me on game because they probably had a website with all that stuff, you know. And so uh, whatever the case is, but, you know, so that was one way and that's one way you can do it. But when it comes to like how I did things back in the day, and we are back. So my wife called and I was like, she's like, hey, babe. and I put it on do not disturb, too. So I was hoping that it wouldn't it wouldn't go through. But obviously I had to put it on airplane mode now. But uh, on anchor, I never would be able to figure out like if I got cut off, I would normally start over. But there's no way I'm starting this podcast over. It's too good. Uh, but since we're in this like intermission of real fast, man, I hope that you guys are enjoying the podcast so far. Uh, I'm really excited to be here on Spotify. It's kind of dope to just be automatically on Spotify. Before, when I started Anchor, uh, the coolest thing was like, yo, my podcast got accepted by Spotify or Apple iTunes or so on and so forth, um, or podcasts, right, the app. And, um, and so that was like the exciting thing. But now we're already on Spotify, and that's pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, so going back to where we were, man, so I hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, so going back to where we were. Uh, shit, give me a second to kind of just wrap my brain around it because I freestyled my podcast, uh, got taken out of my flow. But I was uh, talking about, okay, so get it, breaking and how winning jams was my second, you know, way of revenue is my way to survive and, you know, so I, I talked about this move book that I have and so in this move book and 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 in this book in general it's just really good to be transparent with yourself it allowed me to uh always come back better you know i didn't just go into the jams and be like all right cool i'm gonna win you know so i would i would map it out and be like okay this event cost me you know three hundred dollars to get to if it was not a local jam right cost me three hundred dollars to get to i would do uh, a show for five hundred dollars that means that i would have two hundred dollars left um and then the jam was you know, $300 for first place. How do I maintain that, that blow in my, in my bank account? Um, and that's what I would do. And whenever I would lose, um, it was always an investment. Regardless, win, lose, or draw, it was always an investment. And I would go and I would literally, after the jam, I would, you know, Chinatown bus back or, you know, train back or whatever it was. Um, I would be in that book and I'd be writing about what I, it's crazy because I still have all that stuff. Um, but what or where I could have done better, what could I have done better? And so if something like going to battles is, is like a way, because it is a way of, of income, correct? Like 1000% is a way of income because there's money to be made. You just got to work for it. You got to battle a couple of times and you got to really be on your P's and Q's um, because you never know who's going to be there. And most of the time, like at that time for me, people like, I don't know, gravity of today would have been there 2010, you know, like, you know, people that were massively good that have been doing this for a long time are going to be in your way. And so I wish somebody would have told me that's not a, not a thing to rely on. But when you're young and, um, you know, constantly in survival mode, I don't think that really came to mind. Like, oh, you, we can do something that's a lot more sustainable. You know, but the way I survived back then, this was one of the ways I would show up and I would give it my all. Everything mattered. And people would be like, man, like that guy is extra or like, no, it's it's like you don't understand. Like my rent is due. I got a kid. Um, I have two kids and, you know, I got bills to pay and people to support. And, 
you know, I had to I had to win. That money would put me ahead. That money would allow me to pay my bills so I don't have to work so that I can focus on just training. And so all of this intertwined with each other. All of this intertwined with each other. If it wasn't for one, it wouldn't be the other. Um, and so when I'd be at practice, I think like, I really think the, the, the best advice I could give anybody uh, from that experience of mine was to be able to have a book that I would write in and really focus on, you know, where I wanted to get better, you know, and, and also too, when I would be at practice, I'd be creating for people I knew I was going to see. So I had something to answer and I had a response for them. So I didn't just make my style, you know, I didn't just sit there and create moves for myself and like, oh, I like this. I'm going to use this or, oh, snap, I came up with this. It was always with the mentality of, okay, if I'm going to battle this person, he's going to do this against me. Um, all right, so what can I do? to? All right, let me try, learn. What does that move look like? Okay, if I tried that, but what if I did it like this? Oh, this would be a dope response. And, you know, I was always trying to break it down. Literally, you know, practice was called being in the lab because I was in there experimenting on things. I was, It was like warfare, you know, and I was experimenting and trying to um, build so that when I went into battle, I was able to compete against the people that I was uh, put against. And, and it was, I wanted to be able to compete against them. I wanted to be able to compete with their moves and with their style and with their, you know, responses and with their attacking. And uh, it was really, uh, it was a lot of fun for me to be, I'd be excited to go to the battle and be like, oh, I can't wait to get this person because I'm going to use this. Whoa. And I've still, and I still use that to this day. But a lot of that wouldn't be possible without having like a book that you write in on a regular basis and that you can sit there and analyze and analyze yourself. You know, how many of you are truly honest with your style? Uh, one thing I know about myself is that no matter how dope people think I am, I, I don't think I'm the illest. I, I, there's a lot of people out there that I see. And I see people from all walks of life on all levels and from all over the world. And I'm like, yo, if y'all think I'm the best, y'all tripping. You need to, you don't even understand. I've seen some talented breakers, man. Um, holy crap. I've seen some people where I'm like, man, I want to move like that. And I will literally write in my book, you know, certain people's names that I've seen overseas. And I'll be like, okay, what would I do against this person? You know, like I still think like that. Um, and it's been really resourceful. It's been really helpful. And it's also a lot of fun to try and step into somebody else's world when your body just doesn't move like that, man. So um, I would say, you know, for me, that second, that second way of survival, that second stream of, of revenue, you know, it when you are dialed in and you give it your all 1000% that is the illest you know stream of revenue because one year i think i made like ugh don't even don't quote me but just off of those two streams of revenue nah we won't even go into that yet uh but let's just say i've won like 28 events in one year you know 30 events in one year multiple years in a row you know um it's been, it's, it's, you know, and that's from local to international to national to regional to, you know, all types invite. And, uh, you know, it was, a, those were good years, you know, those are good years uh, to have because, you know, it allows me to continue doing what I want to do. When I put those two streams of revenue together, 
it allows me to do more. So like entertainment plus um, competition wins. You now have this conglomerate of, of, especially if you're doing this every weekend, you're doing either competition or entertainment every weekend. The consistency level, you know, it picks up. And it took me years, man. It took me years. And I think it took me years because nobody was putting me on game. Like you can have so much more consistent revenue if you put it out there that that's what you do. Um, And you can win um, if you understand the art of battle and if you understand what it takes to win and if you're honest with yourself and you think about how you can really uh, level your game up and that's your focus is leveling your game up to the to the t um i think that winning would be something that is consistent for you as well uh the third and final stream of revenue that helped me survive was teaching um i grew up in a gymnastics gym and so you know i was always helping my dad coach i I got to coach one time. I, one time, yo, we were so crazy in the gymnastics gym, man. One time, I, you know, there was mirrors all across the wall, and they had these mats in the wall, these cheese mats. They're like, you know, the the triangular mats, you know, wedge mats or whatever. And they had them placed up against the wall, and behind them were mirrors. And you know, when you're a kid, you don't really think nothing of it. But we'd run from all the way across the gym, throw ourselves, flip upside down, and smack our backs, and then slide down. We were just wild kids doing wild things. So we'd run, 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 and then just freaking dive into the mat, flip and land, hit our backs, and then slide down. We thought it was the funniest, coolest thing, you know. And one day, I ran as fast as I could. I jumped from as far as I could, and when I hit the freaking mat, the mirrors shattered everywhere and we were like oh we ran nowhere to go though right we hid in the gym and you know the owner comes down he's like what the hell's going on and uh you know i was the one even though we were all doing it mine was the one that broke the mirrors and of course it was me and it was like my dad was like what the fuck are you doing and like nobody had a problem with it until i broke the mirrors right so anyway, I took the blame for it. I got, obviously, it was my fault anyway. Um, and I had to work the whole summer coaching to pay it off. So I worked the whole summer for free to pay that shit off. It was like $1,000 in mirrors. And I was probably 12 years old. Nah, I was like 10. 10 or 12. This is definitely like some child labor shit. And, uh, and I was in the gymnastics gym and I was working from... You know, cleaning the windows to vacuuming the floor to coaching the camps and helping be a part of the camps and, you know, serving pizza for the birthday parties on the weekends. It was like a thing anyway. Uh, but that's where I started coaching. And I, and I would watch my dad coach. And my dad is a really talented coach. And one thing, if anybody's out there teaching, one thing my dad always did was he made people feel comfortable He made people feel like they were capable. And if they didn't feel capable, he would put himself out there with them to make sure that they felt comfortable. So he would he would just make people feel good and he would he would encourage and he was he was strict. But in a sense where it was like, I'm not going to take your no for an answer I've prepared you to do X, Y, and Z. It is time to leap, you know? And I watched my dad do these things and create this environment that was uh, 
I don't know if this is the right way of saying it, but unreplicable. Like, you couldn't replicate this. You couldn't duplicate it. I still, to this day, have tried. And I think that I'm such a good teacher because I've tried to keep up with this man's, you know, repertoire in the coaching realm, you know? He's incredible at what he, at what he would be doing. And I just grew up around great coaches in gymnastics, and I, and I brought that into breaking. And so I started coaching. Man, the first kid I ever taught, his name was Tails. At least that's what we called him. I don't remember his real name, but he was, he could have been so good. But I wasn't a great breaker then. I wasn't even a good one. I was just a kid who would break, but I understood how to break things down. So if it was a head spin, I couldn't head spin, but I can teach you how to head spin. It was weird. Um, and I taught him how to head spin. And he would do like head spin, handstand, freeze. And to me back then, that was nasty. Like you go drill and push up freeze it was just like a thing anyway so you know and I taught him footwork and you know it was really cool but you know his parents would pay me to teach him and um they had approached me and asked if I was interested and I was like well yeah sure you know and I remember I was teaching him like for like 25 bucks an hour you know and back then, I feel like, you know, you hear somebody make, like, oh, how much you make an hour? 25 bucks. Damn, you make $25 an hour? That's crazy. That was a lot of money back then. And, you know, I would lock it in for a couple of hours a day and, or a couple of hours a week and whatever they could do. And that was, like, that became a stream. And then as my career started to, to like, you know, elevate, um, people would bring me in for a workshop. And I would charge, you know, $10 a kid, $15 a kid for an hour. And that, I'm about to yawn. <sighs> Don't fucking judge me. I'm tired. Um, and, uh, and that was like another way that I, when, when that happened, when, when I realized that people wanted their kids to learn how to break, I'm not going to lie, man. The first thing that went over my head was a dollar sign because it was easier than doing bar mitzvahs and it was easier than winning. It was, it was way easier. You just... A kid that wants to learn how to break, you just show him how to break or her. You just do it. Like, and it's like it was so much more fulfilling for me. It was like I didn't make as much money doing that as I did everything else, but it was the most consistent thing. And in breaking, that was what I lacked most was consistency. You know, if your phone bill was $100, I knew I was going to be able to pay that $100 every month. If I showed this kid an amazing time and you end up like falling in love with, you know, the journey that this kid has, like you're like, I'm a part of that. And you realize when you realize, you know, not everybody can coach, not everybody can teach, not everybody has the patience. I always grew up around kids and, um, you know, it was just something you understand, you know, you understand how a kid operates and. You know, and, and when you realize that that kid trusts you or you build that trust, you know, you you, it, you stop really thinking about the money, you know, and I'll get into why I brought that up. But, you know, um, I became passionate about teaching because not only did it help my life, um, it was amazing to be a part of somebody else's life. And it was amazing to be that person that uh, was looked at in a sense of like, I don't know, people would like, they would look up to me and they would, they do, you know, 
you know, to be that person for somebody is really, really cool. And I personally love it. And so, you know, as I got older, my numbers started to change a bit because my time became more valuable or I would get booked out, dude. Like coaching became, teaching became a thing where I was like, holy snap, like, yo, I think I can do this, do this. Like, I think I can create a school. Like, you know, like I opened up an LLC and, and, and so this is where they all come in. So coaching was like the third way I survived. I would, you know, teach multiple kids at, you know, 15 to 25 to $50 an hour. And uh, it would always vary. And what would vary at that time when I was younger was, um, you know, would I be, you know, traveling to you or are you coming to me? You know, do I got to rent a space or, you know, are we going to are you guys cool with going to the park? You know, and then, you know, it just got to the point where it was like, look, man, I can't I can't do this right now. I got something else. Well, how much to do? And I was like, well, you'll pay more like in my head. I'm like, you'll pay more. All right, well, I don't know. Seventy five dollars. All right, cool. Done. Like, oh, snap. I bet. You know, like it's guaranteed. Like this money was guaranteed. I knew I had my groceries for the week right there off one kid. And at the same time, I loved doing it. And so my life started at a really young age um, with coaching, you know, and I think I got like a hair or something right here. My hat. See, my face is annoying. Um, but, you know, when I put these three streams of revenue together, I then created a, a a pretty consistent ecosystem um, for myself. You know, between my performances and my winnings and then my coaching, I was able to, man, I was in so much control. It was crazy. Let me explain why. So back then, the way you made your name was you kill it at a jam and then promoters would see you and then they would want to fly you out for an event. But then it got to the point where like promoters were in control of whether or not, you know, you would be... I don't know, I guess, like, active in the scene, you know, because, I mean, flying to Europe at that time or Asia at that time was, was a lot of money. And breakers didn't make money like that. And the ones that, you know, were nasty, you know, they they didn't have to, they didn't work. They just did this. So, like, you be almost become like you're in the, the promoter's pocket, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you cool with this person? Yeah, I can get them to come out. You know, he'll do it for this. And they start, hey, we pay you $500 to do this. You travel all the way across the world to judge, host, and then do the second competition the next day uh, for 500 bucks. And that was legit, bro. I'm traveling all over the world, making a little bit of money, come back home. I'm good to go. Um, but if you didn't like something the promoter did, you would bite that bullet because that was your way of traveling and making noise and winning prizes and you know, and so for me, I was always in control of my own narrative. I didn't, I didn't give a fuck about my relationship with the promoter um, because if you brought me out to your event, it was a business deal. It was like you brought me out because you thought I was going to bring more people to, like seeing me there would bring more people to your event, you know, uh, and because people wanted to battle me or I wanted to battle them or, you know, it just brought that animosity and that hype. But then also you knew you were going to get a good show and people would talk about it. And so that's what it was at that time. Um, and the only promoters that I became cool with were the ones that were genuine and nice. You know, those like I had genuine conversations, genuine relationships with these people because they were good people. And I was able to do that because 
And I built like this repertoire where like, yo, gravity is going to be so honest. He's going to be so straightforward. He don't give a fuck. And the reason was that I had my own hustle. I had, I had my performances and my winnings and my coaching and I made my own money. If you didn't bring me out to your jam, but you had a dope jam, I'll fly myself out, you know? And uh, there was a time where I had missed a flight. Uh, Bianca and I, you know, we were going through a rough patch and we were getting uh, evicted. And we got the notice on the day I was supposed to travel to Europe. And I was like, dude, I, I can't go. I'm sorry, I, I can't go. And they were like, no, you need to. I literally got off the plane. I was like, there's no way I'm going to. Because I, I remember I went to the airport. Bianca hit me up. And I was like, fuck, what am I going to do, dude? Like, I'm like, I'm not going to go. It's a fucking battle. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got to go. I got to go. I got off the plane. They were like, sir, why are you getting off the plane? I'm like, nah, man, this is wrong. I said, I'm sorry, man. I had an emergency. I got to get off. They, like, interviewed me and everything uh, because they were, they were worried why I got off the plane so, like, fast. And then, um, you know, I just told the promoter, and he was like, I'm buying you another flight. You need to be here. I'm like, dude, I just told you that my family is, like, going through something dire. Like, we got evicted. I got to help my wife. And they didn't give a shit. I got blacklisted for, like, four years in Europe. They, like, nobody, like, all right, if you work for Gravity, I'm not supporting your event. And promoters would move like that, man. They would move like that. It was whack. Um, they, they all had control over each other because they had certain breakers in their pockets. And it was whack, man. And, and I didn't give a fuck. I was like, oh, fuck y'all, you know? Um, I have my ways to survive. I don't need anybody. And so, you know, certain events I would just bring myself out to and I'd show up and it'd be like, oh, snap, this dude's here. Yeah. And I don't give a shit about how you feel about it. I'm going to be here and I'm going to win your jam. Take that money and go home on my own budget. And that was the like that right there made me feel so good. It made me feel so good because... I was surviving off of breaking and nobody controlled my narrative. I controlled my whole narrative, the whole narrative and nothing but the narrative. And so I have made mistakes um, and I have like, you know, maybe burnt some bridges. I wish I did not because of my ego when I was younger and things like that. And when you when you have your, when you can control your own narrative and you have your own ways to survive. Uh, you move, you move a certain way. And it's like, uh, obviously, now that I'm older, I understand like business, I understand relationships, I understand not burning bridges, and I understand there's a way to get your message across without being so aggressive. But when you're young, and you're in survival mode, and you feel like people are trying to fuck with your money and, you know, control your narrative, you know, you move different too. Um, But these are the three ways that I was able to survive. And when it came to, um, coaching for anybody out there that coaches now or and that's something that's a that's a whole other podcast that we can get into but one thing I would say is that if you're doing coaching if you're just coaching just for the money um stop now stop now because the way you gain in coaching is through results and Getting somebody else's student because in using utilizing your name and your accomplishments to like get somebody's student or get another kid that's already breaking and say, hey, I can enhance this kid or hey, I'm available. And then you coach them so that it can pay for your ways to travel or your ways to do things. I would say uh, don't do that. You know, don't look at teaching a kid or teaching as just a, a way of making a dollar. You know, or even if the kid's not breaking or just utilizing your name to coach so that you can make some money, um, don't do it just for that. 
because at the end of the day, you're going to hurt the kid. You know, because if your heart's not in it and, you know, not sometimes the parent is just going to struggle, too, and they may not be able to pay. And, you know, if it's not paying your if it's not paying your bills and you're only in it for the money, um, you're going to hurt that kid, man. And I just want to uh, let you know that any kid that's trying to indulge in breaking um, is the future of breaking. And, uh, you know, you don't want to traumatize no kid or give them a bad experience. Uh, and deter them from something as beautiful as what we've built and what we're doing now. So, um, you know, and so I can't wait for that next podcast um, where I can really talk about, you know, what it is to be teaching kids and and why I do it so much and why I'm so embodied in it and why I feel like I'm one of the best people on the planet to teach breaking. Um, And so uh, those are the three ways that I was able to survive off breaking, man, was uh, entertainment, winning and coaching and those three things allowed me to be in a place like this where i have my own facility out here in phoenix arizona um and in this place my entertainment my winnings and my coaching allows me to now have my own facility where i can train on a regular basis run my business do my like operate everything make sure now i have my website for entertainment and this that and the third and we make moves and it's amazing to be here 16 years later uh just doing it and literally uh providing for my five kids my wife my dog myself um all because of those those three ways those three streams of revenue uh, and I hope that today was a really dope podcast, man. If it's something that you and your crew is trying to do, man, I hope, you know, if you're trying to survive off dance, if you're trying to survive off breaking, you know, this is the ways, these are the ways I did it. And um, I really hope that, you know, if you're, if you're struggling a bit and you're trying to find some ways to make some money, um, here are some of the ways I did it. And here's the proper ways to really go about it. And so uh, one love, much love. And I appreciate you guys. Shout outs to Spotify again for just having this platform where people like myself can just express, share some information and uh, build a community of hardworking people that are striving to be great and, uh, and live this one life to the fullest. Um, and I want to share this quote, you know, to help everybody that's within my realm, within my reach, you know, artists, dancers, music, musicians. Um, a life without artists is like a world without bees. And I say that, and I'll leave it there, and you can interpret it however, but I'll say it again. A life without artists is like a world without bees. And uh, take that for what it is. Today's the day. Thanks for listening, y'all. Catch y'all on the next episode. Uh, feel free to comment, share, show some love. Peace.